Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. It's May 19th, 2016, and you're listening to The Bank, a Baltimore Ravens podcast brought to you by Baltimore Sports and Life. I'm your host, Jason B. Hirshhorn, and joining me today, as always, are Andy Guider and Gabe Ferguson. Gentlemen, this is the dead period of the offseason. Teams have seen the rookies for the first time in person, but much more work remains for them, as well as for the veterans on the roster. However, the Ravens have gotten themselves into a little bit of trouble this past week over the use of pads during rookie training camp. This sounds very minor, but reports indicate that Baltimore knew it was violating the collective bargaining agreement, which could ultimately cost the team a draft pick, as well as practices later in the offseason. So, Andy, you're a coach by trade. What goes through the mind of a coach in this situation? You know, I think if you look at the big picture, you know, in terms of what's happened, obviously they're coming off of, you know, a very disappointing campaign, you know, and, and really what, you know, all eyes go to the leadership. You know, and, 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 you know, being in rooms like that, you know, you, you know that, um, you know, it, everybody, you know, everybody wants that thing to turn around. Everybody's going to be a little bit of a good soldier, um, you know, and, and follow commands. But, you know, you, you kind of think as to, you know, why they may do something like that. And, you know, the team that's, uh, you know, looking for something to maybe rally around, you know, something, something that, again, how they may frame it within their walls, you know, may be different than, you know, what's, what's said outside, but it's, you know, it could be a, a way to, you know, create a little us against them, you know, Hey, the rule wasn't written very well. Um, you know, this is, this is also a little bit of, you know, it could be a, a mentality, uh, you know, a message sent, you know, you look at some of those, those other teams, um, Jacksonville, Miami, you know, reports of, of doing very limited on-field uh, on-field activity, you know, I, I mean, even just sending a message, you know, to these guys that are showing up for the first time, uh, you know, that this is, I mean, this is football, and it's 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 on the field, it's played on the field, and you know, I'm sure they didn't put anybody in any sort of you know any sort of compromising position, but you can see that you know maybe something that they took a hey, this is worth the this is worth the risk, uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't backfire and, and cost them too much, but. Um, you know, by all accounts, yeah, they, they knew they knew the rules, and I would think they did know the rules. All right, now I'm going to ask you to recklessly speculate here. Who ordered the code red? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, you know the the alpha dog in that room is you know is, is the head coach. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what that dynamic is uh, between the head coach and the GM, and and just you know where the eyes were. Um, you know. <laughs> Yeah, the code red, where the you know corporal, where the corporal was. Um, it's, I would probably think that it it came from a little bit of a somebody throwing a hint like, hey, this mess, you know, this this rule wasn't very well written. It's not, it's not overly clear. It's always easier to ask for permission than it is, or forgiveness than it is permission. Um, so I, I got to think it, it it came probably from the coaching side, you know, and somebody saying, hey, this is how we're going to fix this. You know, we're going to fix it with players on the field, and, and that's how we're going to do it. All right, now let's let's flip to Gabe here. So, if this ends up costing the team more than just a couple of practices later on in the off season, is it worth it? 
no, I don't think it's worth it. And I think even if it's just a couple of practices, it's it's still not worth it because say what you will about the off-season mini camps, but I think they do have some value. They get everybody on the field together. It's really the first kind of chance you have to to coalesce before the training camp starts. So it, I think it's it's a silly mistake to make. I think it comes back to Harbaugh. Um, I don't I don't know if he was trying to send a message or if it was a careless mistake. I mean, it's hard to know for sure. It's just really speculation on, on my behalf. So um, I think that it's like like it's a silly rule. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous that it know, is one. However, that the yeah. the players bargained for in 2011. So even if we all think it's silly, and I don't really know what to think of this. I, I have not spent enough time in an NFL locker room to know how players collectively feel about this. But these are rookies. You would think on some level they'd want to be on the field, and maybe that's why the team felt that they could push past this rule. Does that make a little bit of sense? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I just I just feel like there was a knowing... They knew what they were getting themselves into by skirting the rule like this, and I just don't really see the benefit of it. Yeah, and you're probably right there. So... CBA violations aren't the only news that's coming out of the NFL this week. Two first-round picks from this past April's draft, Jalen Ramsey of the Jacksonville Jaguars and Shaq Lawson of the Buffalo Bills, could miss time during training camp and the regular season for health concerns. Ramsey suffered a torn meniscus in his right knee and plans to seek a second opinion next week, while Lawson underwent surgery on his shoulder and expects to start the season on the physically unable to perform list. So, Gabe... Given that the Ravens play both the Jags and the Bills during the first few weeks of the season, does this alter your outlook for Baltimore? I mean, it's really hard to say what impact a rookie will have, even a high pick like Jalen Ramsey or another first-round pick like Shaq Lawson. I mean, I think they're both really good players. I was really high on both of them coming out of college, so it probably will have some impact. But then again, we see really high-rated rookies come in and have little to no impact a lot of times. So it's really hard to say what exactly the on-field impact will, will be. Um, I think it's interesting that, you know, both these, these players were people were prospects that the Ravens were interested in, in taking. And um, it's unfortunate that this kind of thing happened. You never want to see anyone get injured, but on the other hand, you know, maybe the Ravens playing it safe, not trading up to take Ramsey ends up being a good move because when you trade up, you obviously lose draft picks. You and then are investing a lot into a player that ends up getting injured. It's it's a pretty tough break for the team. Yeah, and look, in, an injury like this can happen randomly. You can't predict it. But the thing that came out as the result of this injury was that Jalen Ramsey apparently had microfracture surgery on the same knee when he was a sophomore in high school. And look, I did plenty of background research for the draft, for my various positions, and I talked to people in the NFL, and this never came up. Like, not even the idea that he had some kind of knee-specific injury during high school. So, I'm sure the teams knew, but it seemed very strange to me that Jalen Ramsey had microfracture surgery, and you never heard that word attached to him during the entire draft, whereas Miles Jack, it comes out during the last week or two of the draft process, and suddenly he goes from being a consensus top 10 pick to a guy who's not even picked in the first round. So, Andy, does it seem strange to you that somehow Jalen Ramsey did not have this like this negative uh, bump down the draft board because of microfracture, even though we've seen that affect other prospects? 
You know, I, I mean, I, I kind of go back to a little bit of my experience on the on the recruiting side in terms of, you know, when you're when you're interviewing uh, prospects and, and trying to find out medical histories. And I mean, it's 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 amazing what comes out. You know, what sort of questions? I mean, very precise questions. You know, would need to be asked, and what's assumed in that whole process. You know, I mean, you you look at that guy's. Uh, you know, what he was able to put on the field at Florida State, and. You know, I could see, I could definitely see how that may never come up, you know, and looking that far back, you know, with something in high school, because at some point, you know, what's, what's put out there sort of overrides that, you know, if if something, yeah, if something hasn't resurfaced. Yeah, that's a good um, point. He's now five years removed from the injury. And with microfracture, the concern is that it may not affect the player tremendously early on, but that. At some point, not too long thereafter, you're going to see the effects of that injury really just diminish that player. Maybe not always completely, but to some degree. Five years out, though, you you have a pretty good idea of what that player is going to look like. And it also helps that Jalen Ramsey is like a freak athlete and had this uh, procedure so young. Maybe he just, he, you know, he's had the surgery. Whatever uh, diminishing effects it was going to have have already taken place. And he's still this tremendous prospect. But it just seems so strange to me that you had that connection with Miles Jack. Just the possibility that he might have microfracture surgery just knocks him out of the first round. But with Jalen Ramsey, you know, we were still talking about him potentially going as high as, you know, third overall as recently as like two days before the draft. So that whole thing seems strange to me as it relates to the Ravens. I don't know that they dodged the bullet by not trading up for Ramsey or having the opportunity to select him at six, because I do believe if he was there, that was going to be the guy. But it doesn't certainly make them feel worse about not picking him. You have to go. You have to think that, right? You would completely have to think that. And in terms of you know, again, I think where their team is right now in terms of you know, again, what they've what they've invested at, at quarterback and and obviously what they did with that first pick. And, you know they they're looking for players that can that can get on the field. You know now now is now is that window. Um, you know and, and it just goes goes to show you. I mean just a little bit of a crapshoot. You know this this drafting process is and all the factors that go into it. And even you know even if you do all your homework, it, it just things can pop up just completely unexpectedly and and, and bite you. You know when maybe you you thought you had covered all your bases. Um, it, it can ha- it can. It can happen in a second. I mean, it could happen on a, again, a freak rep in, in practice as well. A guy could get injured. Um, it's, it's that much of investment running around on the field. Yeah, that's why having yeah, many don't... more players available to you in the draft, you know, holding on to more of those picks or acquiring additional ones can really make a big difference because, as you just mentioned, you don't yeah. know when players are going to go down. And, uh, Gabe, it sounded like you were going to add something. Yeah, we don't. I mean, I was gonna say we don't know the extent of the injury yet. Um, it's I've heard anywhere from four to six weeks to potentially four to six months, depending on the results that come back from uh, a recheck that that Ramsey has. But it's it's kind of a crazy thing that their first round picks two years in a row have been snaked in with injuries like this. You know, you have to really feel for Jaguars fans to to not ever see you know Fowler take the field, and now you have uh, your star defensive back who's supposed to come in and, and be a real playmaker and you never you mean, it's possible that he doesn't see the field this year as well I mean he could be on pup and if it doesn't you know recover the way it should he might miss the entire season it's definitely in the realm of possibility yeah it's not just losing your top two or your first round pick from 2015 and then potentially again this season it's you lost him at almost the same time like if I remember correctly Dante Fowler suffered his ACL tear 
during rookie minicamp and then was just he was out just you didn't hear from him again because he had to recover from it it sounds like he's eventually going to be fine that at least by the time you know full training camp rolls around he will be in pads but you miss an entire rookie season with him even if he ends up not being diminished at all that's one of those super cheap years that you just don't get out of him and with Jalen Ramsey as you mentioned if if it's a meniscus tear and it's the kind that they can actually stitch up and you know really hold on to every bit of that meniscus which is the best case scenario that's actually a longer recovery like that's the kind of injury that could cost him most if not all of his rookie season whereas if it's the kind where they remove a little bit of the meniscus he doesn't miss as much time but then you're talking about the length of his career potentially being shortened as well so there's no real great outcome here other than if the second opinion comes in and it's like no you're fine just you know you know stay in bed for a week or two and you'll be good anyway so let's Let's transition to the main focus of our podcast this week and what's going to be the main focus of our podcast in two weeks, the death chart dissection. So what we're going to do here is starting today, we're going to go through the offense. We're going to go through the position groups. I'm going to read you the names and I want you to explain to me how comfortable or uncomfortable you would feel if you were John Harbaugh and Ozzie Newsom trying to really build this roster for the season. So I say we jump right in with the quarterbacks. The Ravens have Joe Flacco, of course, headlining the group. They also have Ryan Mallett, Josh Johnson, and Jared Johnson. So I'm going to start out with you, Gabe. What do you feel about this position group? Is it a group that you're comfortable with heading into 2016? I think you are comfortable with it. You know Joe Flacco. He's been in the league for eight seasons now. Yes, he's coming off the 20 ACL, but according to the reports, he's ahead of schedule in terms of his recovery. We've seen quarterbacks have this injury before and come back just as good. Tom Brady, Carson Palmer, etc. Um, I, I think that the depth behind him is fine. Ryan Mallett is a backup quarterback. That's what he is. He's been a spot starter at times with different teams in the league. He has some talent. I don't think he's a guy that you would want to start for a significant portion of time. So if for some reason Flacco were to be injured again, I think then we're talking about a bad situation, but in terms of expecting Joe Flacco to be your starting quarterback, having a competent backup behind him that can potentially play a couple games if need be, I think I think overall the quarterback position is in a pretty good spot. So. I gotta, I'll just real quickly jump in. I mean, I think that you know if if you've got a guy that's that's got a Super Bowl ring, you know, obviously that that just that just holds a huge amount of uh, a huge amount of credibility. So. I think there'd be a lot of teams that would that would like to have him at the front of their line, and and I think just like anybody, I mean it's a league that's quarterback based, and if their if their top guy goes down, it's you know it's it's try and hold on until until he can make it back. So you know you see hopefully you never have to find out too much about um, about Ryan Mallett's ability to to win a football game with the with the Ravens, but um, right, clearly he's got some physical tools. There's no question. Yeah, the one thing he doesn't have, though, is a working alarm clock. That's why he is not the quarterback for the Houston Texans. Um, in terms of this group, I, I think Flacco is exactly what you expect him to be so long as he doesn't have any setbacks with that ACL recovery. Now, granted, every team will say that their player is ahead of schedule. You can look for any player coming off a major injury. You're going to hear it. And if you don't, that means that things are way, way worse than they're being let on. But for the most part, we don't have reason to be ultimately concerned with Flacco at the moment. Uh, Mallet, if he's your backup, it's probably not ideal, but it's not terrible either. He's fine. 
And I would be very surprised if either of the Johnson quarterbacks end up making the team either on the 53. I don't think either of them are eligible for the practice squad. Maybe Jared Johnson. But I think for the most part, you're talking about Joe Flacco as your starter, Ryan Mallett as your number two, and then maybe a quarterback that's not even currently on the 90-man roster being the third quarterback on the practice squad. And like you, Andy, and like you, Gabe, I feel pretty comfortable with this group if I'm John Harbaugh and Ozzie Newsom. So let's move on to the running backs, and we're going to include all the running backs here. That includes fullback Kyle. So I wanted to take a pronunciation. Use check. Use check. Thank you. Uh, includes him. It includes the running backs Justin Forsett, Buck Allen, Terrence West, uh, Lorenzo Telefero, Kenneth Dixon, the rookie, and Trent Richardson, the former number three overall pick. So let's start this time with Andy. What's your comfort level with this position group? You know, I, you just kind of look at the at the the history of this group. Um, you know, the, the injuries that have happened back there. Um, I think that's I find that intriguing a little bit you know when you when you bring a guy in that's you look at the um you know Richardson a guy that was that high of a draft pick you know and and it's just I find that I find that interesting especially when you know that guy and he's not at the front of the line and just what that you know what a guy's body you know what his body language what his attitude ends up being like that now you know again maybe he is going to be reborn and, and it's worth you know it's 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 worth taking a look and kicking the tires but uh, you know that could be something that ends pretty quickly too, um, if if it's not the right thing. Because you know, obviously that that you know that group is um, you know, the group is is coming off injury and is going to need somebody going to need a sustained a sustained starter. All right, let's shift over to Gabe here. What are your thoughts about this group? To me, I, th- I think the running back position is actually one of the more intriguing position groups on the Ravens roster. You have a lot of different players who have some real talent. I, th- I think. He's seen what Forsett can do two seasons ago. He was one of the more dynamic running backs in the NFL. Um, he's probably not someone you want to hand the ball to 20 times a game, but he's capable of catching the ball out of the backfield. He's he's a good fit in the zone blocking scheme that the Ravens primarily like to use. And I think as a lead back, I say that with quotation marks, that he he's someone you can rely on. And terms of the people behind him, I think that uh, Kenneth Dixon is a, is a guy that's very exciting and, and someone who may end up being the guy who, maybe not this season, but in, in a couple of seasons, he will be the lead guy in Baltimore. He's, he's pretty big. He's got really good receiving chops. He can, he can be a very hard guy to bring down in the open field. He's, he likes to finish off runs with authority. I think He's someone who, even towards the end of this season, will begin to emerge as potentially the the lead back for the Ravens. And then, then the depth guys, it's it's kind of going to be just a battle between them to see who makes the roster. There's Talia Farrow, who's shown some flashes, but he has also had a lot of injury issues in the first couple seasons with the Ravens. He's more of a power back, I think. He can also do some things as a as a receiver. Obviously, Trent Richardson has has had a, a storied career in the NFL I think that um he is pretty much a long shot to make the roster but you know with with like the weight issues maybe he finally has his his head on straight he could theoretically emerge as as a real playmaker for the Ravens I think that's a very very long shot but you know there's some upside with him and then you have Buck Allen who was last year's I think fourth round pick and he kind of took over as the the lead back last year when Forsett got hurt 
And, you know, we saw some flashes out of him. He had some issues with fumbling. He's not a very powerful runner, but he's also another guy who can, can catch the ball. He can make players miss in the open field and be pretty explosive in terms of ability to, you know, pick up some some yardage. So I, th- I think overall it's, it's a good position group for the Ravens. I, I, there's a lot of depth there, which is something that is important, especially for a position like running back, which gets tends to get banged up a lot over the course of the season. How you feel about this running back group pivots so much on how you think or how much you think Kenneth Dixon can contribute as a rookie. Justin Forsett was fine last year, but his yards per carry dropped by over a full yard from the season before. Part of that, granted, was the offensive line, but a lot of that was on Forsett as well. No one else, in terms of the running backs, averaged as much as four yards a carry. That is troubling. So Kenneth Dixon needs to come in and make a big impact at some point during his rookie year. doesn't necessarily have to be the first week of the season, but I think if this team is going to have any hope of being a playoff contender, you know, by the second half of the year, he's going to need to be someone who's getting 10, 15 touches a game, whether that's, you know, as a receiver, as an, in addition to being a running back. That, I think, is going to matter. And this team has taken the approach of, we're going to use our day three picks and free agency to find our running backs. We're not going to invest a high draft pick in that position. And for the most part, I think that's smart. But they so far haven't hit on those fourth-round picks. They've spent at least one each of the last three drafts. You mentioned them. Buck Allen was the fourth-round pick last year. The year before was Lorenzo Talaferro. Neither of those guys look like starters. We're not even entirely sure if either of them are going to make the team this year. So Kenneth Dixon for the Ravens needs to be the fourth-round running back that breaks through and becomes at least a significant contributor, change of pace guy to just for set and may end up essentially being the starter come the end of the season. So I feel not super comfortable with this group based on what we already know, but they have enough guys there that I think they, they've put themselves in a position where someone in addition to Forsett can, you know, develop, stand out, and at least give them some version of a competent running game. Let's move on now to the wide receivers, a position that we have discussed a lot so far on this podcast because of all the different uh, players who may or may not be a part of it. Let's start out at the top. We have Steve Smith Sr. coming back from Torn Achilles. He's in his late 30s. Uh, Kamar Aiken's there. The first-round pick from 2015. Brashad Perriman is back. Michael Campanero. If we go down the list, we also have guys like Darren Waller, Jeremy Butler, and more later on. So there's a lot of names to consider here. Most of these guys are going to be on the bubble. Let's start out with Andy. How do you feel about this group? How comfortable are you with the receivers? You know, I think that really when you look at that guy who's in the, you know, in the front of the line, I mean, I, Steve, this is such a, Steve, Steve Smith is such a warrior and just a, a competitor, you know, and you, you really feel for, you know, that injury last year and you really felt how, you know, how it, how it really affected him. But, you know, you, you're really pulling for him to come back. But I mean, at some point it, at 37, I mean, the, the cards just start to get, get stacked in the wrong direction, you know, and, and obviously we were, you know, we were talking about some of those high draft picks that have, you know, been injured and with, uh, with Perriman last year, you know, guys, you can spin it any way you want, you know, guys got a, they have another new first round draft pick, but, you know, guys don't develop, you know, guys don't develop not on the field. Um, so it's, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a group that's, um, that, that really is going to need to, going to need to present itself you know and and somebody's going to have to to show to show Flacco that 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 he's the guy he can depend on um that'll be a that'll be an interesting it'll be an interesting development during during training camp to see who who can if if Perryman can and then if if they can you know again put Steve Smith in a position to stay healthy but I mean that guy's just 
the guy just plays with his hair on fire. So it's, you know, hopefully he does stay healthy. All right. To pivot off of that point, Gabe, do you expect Steve Smith to play early in the season? Do you think he's going to miss some time? When do you think he returns from his Achilles hair? I think he's going to be back to start the season. And I am never going to count Steve Smith Sr. out. He has proven that he is tough as nails. He is, you know, a guy who's going to go out there and give it 110% on the field. He may slow down over the course of the season. That's definitely a possibility. But I think even if he has his snaps reduced a little bit compared to what we've seen in the past couple of seasons, I think he will still end up being probably the Ravens' leading wide receiver in terms of receptions, in terms of yards. Maybe not touchdowns, but I think he's definitely going to be their number one. I think the rest of the group is kind of a lot of possibility. The Ravens made a concerted effort to get speed in the wide receiver court. They drafted Perryman last season. He obviously didn't get on the field, but he's a guy who ran a 4-3-40, and he, at 6'2", 215, he's a big-bodied wide receiver who can run really fast, and that is going to prove to be very helpful if he can stay on the field and be productive. And then they went out and got Mike Wallace as an insurance plan. If Perriman isn't healthy, if he can't get on the field, if he can't make plays, then you have a guy who's been there before. He may not be quite as fast as he used to be. He may not have the perfect attitude you want from a player, but I think he's proven that he can be a deep threat on the field. I think that the past few seasons he's been in situations where that ability hasn't really been put to the forefront with the quarterbacks he's played with. And I think that he'll get an opportunity to really shine here in Baltimore. And then you have some of the younger guys. The first-round pick, uh, Chris Moore, who is also a speedy guy who's got some good size. He can get downfield. I think he was if he didn't lead the, the college ranks in um, average yard per catch. He was right up there at the top. Um, he scored a lot of touchdowns in college. And I don't know if you've ever watched his, his college quarterback, but he was not a very accurate passer. So I think in a in a situation where the Ravens are looking for a guy who can be a, a deep threat, I think, I think Moore can actually fill in quite nicely if, if the others don't step up. And then you have a, a lot of guys who are kind of, you know, just good possession guys. Jeremy Butler had 30 receptions last season. I mean, he's not, he might even make the roster, but... He's someone who could be uh, an insurance plan. Kamar Aiken, who we barely even mentioned, is is a guy who really broke out as the de facto number one last season after Steve Smith got hurt. And, you know, he's not an exceptional player, but he can be a guy you can rely on, I think, as your third or fourth wide receiver to kind of move the chains. You know, he's a big body. He has, he has good hands. He runs decent routes. So I think I think overall there's a lot of potential with this group. It could also turn out to be a pretty group of wide receivers if everything cuts the wrong way but I think it's something that there's a lot of things to work with I have several thoughts about this group as a whole and I'm going to start with Steve Smith and look I've admired this player from afar his entire career he is the feistiest most physical receiver under 510 I have ever seen and like everyone else i don't want to doubt him because he has proven everybody wrong so many times, but we do get a point in every player's career, especially players who have played as long as he have, where our expectations for him start to significantly outreach his actual ability, and when, it's, and when you bring injuries into it, I think it really complicates the matter. So I compare it almost to Kobe Bryant, where 
he had so many injuries near the end of his career, and yet people still expected him to come back and be some version of the old Kobe Bryant. And then it just got to the point where it was never going to happen, even though people maintained those expectations. I think we have maybe reached that point with Steve Smith. The Achilles tear is one of the worst injuries you can have as a skill position player, especially one like Steve Smith, who, granted, is not nearly as fast as he used to be, can't leap as high as he used to, but you know, still was using every bit of the athleticism he still had in 2015. Now, I don't even know if he's going to be active at the beginning of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if he starts the year on PUP. But even if we assume for the moment that he is going to be on the active roster week one, I just feel like he's going to be, at best, a slight complimentary piece early on as he's coming back from it. And I'm not sure how much more than that he can be at his age. Again, he's in his late 30s now. He is probably, I mean, we thought last year was the last season of his career. Now it seems almost certain it's going to be this one. The expectations for Steve Smith seem like he's going to be a starting caliber receiver, and I just don't see how that's going to happen. I absolutely could be wrong. I'm prepared to be wrong, but I just I, I feel uncomfortable assuming more out of him at this point in his career. And then you look at the rest of the wide receivers that they have on their depth chart. There are a lot of guys with potential, as both of you mentioned, but there are very few things that you would qualify as reliable. You know, Kamar Aiken's the closest. He had almost 1,000 yards last season. But he was could only be really utilized in a couple of ways. He's not a particularly versatile receiver, at least at this point in his career. And if that's your most established weapon besides Steve Smith, that is a problem. This is not like running back where someone can emerge out of nowhere with very little experience. Receivers usually take some time. And you have a lot of guys who seem like they're further back on the on their trajectory than they should be. Brashard Perriman has all of these physical tools, but he was super raw coming out of Central Florida and now he's essentially entering his rookie season again. I don't know what they're going to get out of him in year one. I think the second half of the season could end up being a lot more impressive, and maybe at that point he's a starting caliber receiver, but early on, I have doubts. Michael Campanero is a slot guy. I'm not sure that he makes the team because he can only contribute so much on offense. A little bit more on special teams that will probably help him. And then as you go further down the roster, I mean, Mike Wallace was supposed to be a deep threat for the Minnesota Vikings last season. Could barely be utilized because of how imprecise his route running still is, despite the fact that he's almost 30, and the fact that he doesn't seem to care as much as he should. This is probably his last shot in the NFL if he doesn't do something with it, so maybe that'll motivate him, but I have doubts. Chris Moore is a is a project. If he becomes something, I think it's more likely to happen in 2017 or 18 than 2016, and then everyone behind them is, is even rawer than that. I mean, Keenan Allen, we discussed this on our last podcast. I think he can become a useful player, like a slot receiver that maybe you can throw in the backfield, a la Randall Cobb with the Green Bay Packers, but that's going to take time. I don't think you can just expect him to be that player as a rookie. And as a group, I, I don't feel terribly comfortable with it. it. It helps that they're working with a quarterback like Joe Flacco, but I don't think that can change this from being anything more than like an average to maybe slightly above average group if everything works out and more likely a slightly below average group. So why don't we move on now to the tight ends there are four names currently listed on the depth chart. Crockett Gilmore, the starter last year. Max Williams, the well-named second-round pick from 2015. Dennis Pitta, the tight end who we haven't actually seen in a couple of seasons. And Benjamin Watson, one of their big free agent additions. So let's start out with Andy here. Given that half of the players I mentioned may not actually be on the Week 1 roster, how do you feel about this group? You know, as we're you know going through these skill positions, I mean, in general, you, you got to like the fact that 
you know, this is 11 on 11. It's not going to be seven on seven football, you know, with, with what they kind of have by and large top to bottom at those, at those skill positions, you know, obviously they get you know, name recognition with, um, with Ben Watson, but you know, it's, it's, uh, they've obviously invested some, you know, some draft picks, you know, third and a second rounder, uh, in Gilmore and, and Williams. But you know, that, that's, that would be another group that, um, you know, again, if, if, if this is going to be the way they're going to turn it around is, you know, with those guys up front, obviously that's where they, that's where they use their first pick. But, uh, you know, those guys are going to be a, a part of that, you know, in terms of, in terms of their schemes, their blocking schemes, um, you know, and, and possibly getting, getting the ball out quickly, um, from, from Flacco. So it, to me, I mean, it, it does look like a, a group, a group in question, you know, as well, but, but you do have some name recognition and also, you know, again, guys that have been, uh, you know, high draft picks in the in the recent rounds. All right, let's shift over to Gabe here. What do you think about the tight ends? I think the tight ends are actually a bit of a strength compared to the wide receiver group. I think you know what you have there a, a little bit more. Um, you know, the big the big concern is probably health. I'm not going to expect anything out of Dennis Pitta. I mean, he's reportedly going to be trying to play. I think that's great if he wants to. He took a pay cut to stay on the team, so... You know, if he wants to give it a go, that's great. When he was healthy, he was a really good tight end. So I, th- I think kind of like what you were saying about Steve Smith with a lot less probability of him actually making the field because I would say probably a 25% shot he will be able to contribute. Um, and that might actually be overly optimistic. Like, yeah. That's how far away he is. He he missed so much time the last three years, and he had these really bad injuries. I mean, hip injuries, it doesn't matter what position you're playing – that's just a huge problem for you in life. Like back and hip, you don't want to mess with those parts of your body. Yeah, I'm not expecting him to really be a contributor, but you know, for some reason he is healthy and he can get on the field. I think he'll probably be, you know, a, a good option. Um, but, but the other players, I think, you know, there are some really uh, talented players that the Ravens have at tight end. You know, Ben Watson was a guy who caught 70 plus balls, I think, last year. Now he was in a scheme where he was going to be a, a focus of a pass-happy offense. So I don't expect him to do anything like that in Baltimore, but he is a very capable receiving option. Um, Crockett Gilmore was a guy who was actually one of the Ravens' better playmakers last year. And he did get nicked up. He had to miss time with, with some injuries, but he's a big guy. He's, I think he's 6'6", 6'7", he's around 270. Um, he, he moves pretty well for his size, and he, he's a guy who Flacco was looking for. And then you have Max Williams, who was a second-round pick last year. I mean, he's he's not someone who I expect to be kind of an, an elite tight end ever. He's he's more of a guy who can work underneath. He's quicker and fast, but he's got a really good set of hands. He's I think he's reliable in terms of his pass catching. He needs to get stronger. Um, I think rookie tight ends generally tend to struggle in their first season and, and really kind of figure it out. After their first year in the NFL, I think if you look across the league, that that tends to be the case. So, you know, I think that they have a solid group, and we'll probably see a lot of two tight end sets from the Ravens. I would, I would imagine. In terms of their skill position players, this is clearly the strength of their offense. You have, as you as both of you mentioned, Crockett Gilmore was sort of the the leader of that group in 2015. He missed time with injury, but he should be back healthy and. 
even if he's more or less what he's going to be at this point in his career, that's still a really good tight end. That's a starting caliber guy who has a lot of chemistry with Joe Flacco. So if that's the top of your roster, you're in a pretty good position. Ben Watson, I don't really know what they're going to expect out of him. You're right that he's not going to put up a season like he did with New Orleans last year because they're just simply not going to be passing that often. I think he's going to have more of a blocking role than I think a lot of other people are expecting because they need that guy in that offense. I don't think he's going to be Crockett Gilmore, even though that I, he's probably the guy who could develop into that player most likely. I just think they needed another presence like that, and that's why they wanted to make sure they got him. Max Williams, though, could be such a tremendous member of this offense in year two. You made the point, Gabe, that rookie tight ends tend to struggle for a variety of reasons. They're just not big contributors in year one, and that's true. But we also have to consider that Max Williams wasn't just your average rookie tight end. He was the rare redshirt sophomore that came out in the draft and was an early second-round pick. So this is a guy that was further behind the curve in terms of just his age than most players. So he's going to have a lot more built-in advantages in year two, and especially later on year three and four, than most tight ends would not have. And if he develops the way that I think a lot of teams thought he could coming out of uh, the 2015 draft, this might be one of the premier joker tight ends in the entire league. I mean, he's got the size and he definitely has the speed in the hands. And that's what he was at Minnesota. The guy who was able to find the, the little holes in the offense and then not just make catches there, but turn it upfield and make big gains. He can do a lot of things that most tight ends cannot. I don't know if that's going to happen right away this season, but I do think by the middle of the year, we're going to see as long as he's healthy. A, a real field-tilting kind of receiver. And given that, they're, that they have some weaknesses in their wideout uh, group, I think that's going to make a huge, huge difference. So when you look at the group collectively, and I, I've kind of written off Dennis Pitta as a contributor here. If he makes the team, it would be a great story, but I just don't think that's likely at all. But even if he doesn't, you have two guys at the front that could be solid or slightly more than that, and Max Williams, who could be a total X factor. I like this group a lot both in 2016 and down the line. So let's move on to the final group. And I'm not going to list all the names just because there's so many, but the offensive line. So I'm just going to list the starters and the names that you also need to know. We have Eugene Monroe, the left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, the first round pick this year, uh, Jeremy Zuta, the center, Marshall Yanda, the all world guard slash tackle, Ricky Wagner, the right tackle, John Urschel guard, and we have further names down the line, but at this point I'm just listing names that some of our listeners may not even know. So let's talk about this group as a whole. How good do you feel about the offensive line heading into 2016? Andy, let's start with you. Well, I'll always be a little bit partial uh, whenever you've got a, an offensive lineman that's, that's uh, in the Ph.D. program at MIT. Um, so I kind of got to pull for him a little bit. But, you know, it's, it's uh, obviously with, with, a, with a high draft pick, you know, involved, you got another – former first rounder uh with Monroe back in back in 09 I mean there's you know this group really this this the team is going to have to lean really lean heavy on this group uh in terms of in terms of moving the football you know got clearly we, we think there's a little bit of a strength at at tight end you know close to these five up front and you know this this group is going to have to uh is going to have to gel quickly and, and obviously protect protect Flacco um and uh you know, with the with the little bit question mark with playmakers outside. You know, this is this is the group they're going to have to lean on. So yeah, they're going to, you know, they're going to need to make sure that they get those pads on early and often in, in camp. They might not want to miss any practices uh, getting penalized. I'm going to ask Gabe a very specific question here. 
Ronnie Stanley, the the first round pick, where do you see him playing in year one? What position? I think he's going to start off at left guard, most likely. But that's going to be with the caveat, obviously, that Eugene Monroe is A, on the roster, and B, healthy. So I think you'll see Eugene Monroe given the opportunity to start at left tackle. I think when he's been healthy and starting, he's been a good left left tackle, not only for the Ravens, but for the Jaguars before the Ravens. He's He's been a pretty one of the maybe not top tier of tackles, but probably below that in terms of overall performance. Um, so I think Stanley is going to slot in at left guard because right now it's kind of a question mark. He will play there. He's the, probably the most talented overall player other than Marshall Yanda on the line. So if you slot him in there, similar to what they did with Clutchio Semele, you're going to get a guy who can move well in the running game he can pass protect obviously really well it'll probably be a little bit of a adjustment to move inside as opposed to playing on the outside but i think i think he'll be able to make that adjustment um and then i think as i mentioned marshall yanda he's arguably the best offensive lineman in all football so i think if you have two left guards who are really talented really big guys you have a center who's proven to be a solid player in jeremy zuta I think you need Ricky Wagner to kind of bounce back from a disappointing season last year. Two years ago, he was actually really good. Um, so I think he has that ability. I think he was dealing with some nagging injuries last season. And then you have a bunch of solid depth guys. You know, Urschel is filled in center and left guard. Um, Ryan Jensen is also filled in a guard and been pretty decent. And then the other uh, draft pick, Alex Lewis, out of uh, Nebraska, I think he's He's a guy who could potentially push to, you know, maybe start a right tackle if, if Wagner can't hold up. Maybe he could slot in a left guard if, if Stanley has to move over to left tackle. So I think the Ravens have um, some good options. I think they definitely improved their depth, which is a big deal. I mean, last season we saw James Hurst start half the season, and he was a complete disaster. He was, if you look at um, pro football focus and how they, they grade, he was, I think, the worst graded tackle in all of the NFL. He's just terrible and pretty much every asset and i think we lost gabe there uh i'll jump in here and say i'd be a little surprised if ronnie stanley is the starting left guard at the beginning of the season he makes a lot more sense at left tackle, which I think is where he ultimately lands. And I think we have to keep in mind that John Urschel, the fifth-round pick from last year, has a lot of attributes that really make sense, not just for guard, but guard in this Ravens offense. And I think he's probably the best player on the team uh, for that spot. I don't know that he's going to be beaten out for. And if Urschel secures the left guard spot... That leaves Stanley and Monroe for the starting left tackle spot, and given that they spent a top-ten pick on Ronnie Stanley, it just makes more sense for them long-term and maybe even immediately for him to take the spot there. And then you have Eugene Monroe as a swing tackle, which is not a bad position to be in. Uh, You mentioned, Gabe, Alex Lewis. I don't know what he's going to contribute right away, but the day three offensive linemen uh, have been very useful for teams like the Baltimore Ravens. I would not be surprised if... 
Maybe in 2017, he takes over for Ricky Wagner, who's going to be a free agent after this year. And then they just have another guy to just throw into that unit and able to you know keep that mentality or keep that momentum going. So I think overall, it's a pretty good group. I think they actually have some depth now, which they really did not have last season. It really cost them middle of the year where they had all of those injuries. So I think overall, it's a pretty promising group with the potential to be more than just above average. So that is all of the offense. Uh, We will return in two weeks to discuss the defense as well as any other news surrounding the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. Again, this is The Bank. This is a Baltimore Ravens podcast brought to you by Baltimore Sports and Life. I'm your host, Jason B. Hershorn. You also heard from Andy Guider and Gabe Ferguson, and we will talk to you guys soon.